How do you build brand consistency at your brewery? Well, it's clear that starting with controlling the quality of the liquid you're building your business on is a great way to start. At Northern Monk, Tanya Kondratyuk was quality manager at the Leeds-based business. She started her career in the industry working in quality control, sensory analysis, and the bourbon barrel aging program at Goose Island Brewery, based in Chicago, Illinois. Her experience is rooted in microbiological and analytical fermentation analysis, yeast propagation, bourbon and sour barrel sensory and blending work. Before moving on to her new role at Harrogate Spring Water, she spent two years with Northern Monk designing and supervising the build-out of their new QC laboratory, launching analytical and microbiological sampling programs, yeast propagation planning, sensory panels, barrel aging programs and also taking part in production planning and recipe development. In this podcast, part of our digital takeover on quality control and analysis, she shares her expertise on the building blocks that you need to create brand consistency at your brewery. She argues that continuous improvements are key, which includes setting achievable goals, embracing your mistakes, keeping quality dynamic, and that if you aim for consistency, you'll find room for creativity. Hello. Thank you guys for all being here today. My name is Tanya. Um, yeah, it's a really beautiful building. Really nice to be here today. Um, how many of you guys actually work in a brewery? Can you raise your hands? And how many of you guys have a quality department in your brewery? One? One, okay. So um, basically this presentation is for everybody that did not raise their hands. Um, this presentation is about building a quality program on the cheap. Obviously, uh, funds and money is a big thing right now. Um, building a quality program that's sustainable and building a quality program that's going to give you consistent beer. Um, there's a lot going on in the world today um, where consistency in craft brewing is pretty off and on, but we're seeing a lot of consistency in the big breweries. Um, so basically what I'm going to talk to you about, just having come from AB InBev, coming from Goose Island um, and coming into Northern Monk, is to kind of talk about what you can do simply and efficiently with just the staff you have in the brewery or yourselves to give yourselves the opportunity to actually have consistent beer and have consistent product. Because if you have consistent beer, you'll have uh, repeated customers coming back to you and you will be that brewery that if somebody walks into the bar and sees your tab handle they know exactly what they're getting. I know for me like living in Leeds um, I got used to drinking uh, landlords. If I see a tab handle of their beer I always go for it because I know it's reliable. I know it's going to taste good. I know it's very not often that I'm going to get a bad quality product. So this is kind of a presentation to let you know what you can do and simple steps to get to that point as well. So a little bit about my background. Um, I started at Harriet Watt University. Um, like a lot of people in England, I find that uh, in Scotland that I worked with in brewing industries, they also did the brewing distilling course. Um, I did the food and beverage science course, so I kind of got a bit of both worlds. I got a bit of distilling, a bit of brewing, a bit of food science, process and development. Um, then I actually went on to do natural selection brewing. It's a master's program that they do with Stuart Brewing. Uh, we created a beer called Vulcan Wolf. Um, I got to actually help in the marketing and the production recipe development. 
and that was kind of my introduction into the bureau world. Um, the course was great, but it was even better to get my hands on to actually making the beer and actually have this project while everyone else was stuck in the lab. Um, so that's what I did there. Uh, Goose Island Brewery actually hired me uh, after I went back to Chicago. My student visa was up. I couldn't get a job here, really wanted to. But um, luckily, I got into um, a quality technician role there, which absolutely uh, inspired me to stay in the industry and learn more. Uh, there's a lot of knowledgeable people at Goose Island, a lot of veteran brewers, a lot of really knowledgeable quality techs. I've learned a lot from them. Um, I then moved on to still being a technician, but also taking on the sensory program. Uh, so I was working a lot with international breweries that brewed Goose products, uh, finding ways to make the beer consistent in-house and across the world. Uh, and then I also got heavily involved in the barrel aging program. Uh, so the picture in the middle is pretty much a day's worth of sampling, 14 to 15% stout uh, at 9 a.m. And that would be done pretty much three times a week for three months out of every summer. Uh, so yeah, uh, pretty sloshed by noon, um, but it was really fun. And that's my Mecca. That's if you guys want to talk about barrel aging or anything having to do with bourbon, with Irish whiskey, scotch barrels, beer, sour barrels, I'm all game for it. I will talk about it for hours. I absolutely love that warehouse. It has 2000 plus barrels in there. It smells incredible and it's just, really serene and awesome um and then after i basically spent some time there um i was wanting to come back to the uk got recruited to come to northern monk and um it was a really op awesome opportunity um when i got to know brian in the bottom picture there i'm sure you guys all know brian uh and luca and russ uh they basically wanted to expand the quality program um and to actually build out the quality lab so that's what I came here to do, to uh, just design and build that out, get a new space going and expand on the quality program at Northern Monk. So uh, QC Lab, this is early days, uh, walking into the UK uh, during the pandemic, I had to move in the summer of 2020, which was super interesting, but I had a lot of time to do this because there was nothing else to do. Uh, so that picture in the middle was just the first rough draft that I had to do and while I was in quarantine out in the in Yorkshire countryside. So I just started drawing up plans for a lab. Uh, these are the rooms we had to work with in the old lab and the production office that it wasn't really much in use. Um, we worked with a great company called CPR. Uh, they helped us outfit the entire lab. We got some really nice uh, countertops. Uh, a lot of work had to be done. A lot of elect, I know way too much about electric and plumbing that I did never, I never wanted to know, but it worked out in the end. Um, our QC staff are Eloise and Caesar. Caesar is a border collie. He was my first assistant, and then Eloise came in uh, after that. Uh, they're great. They make my job so much easier. Um, this is the lab in its current state. Uh, so basically, much cleaner, much simpler. Um, we've outfitted the micro room and analytical side. Uh, so analytical, um, we kind of do. Uh, fermentation analysis every day. We do VDK checks, uh, sensory analysis for any off flavors happening in the beer. Uh, big thing for us is yeast propagation. I'll get into that later. Um, about half a year ago, we've started screening for bacteria and wild yeast. We rolled up the micro program. 
Uh, microscopy, which is just honestly working with a microscope. It just sounds fancy, so I put it in. Uh, sensory panels are really big for us, uh, so I appreciated Charlie's talk earlier because we actually used the Roxa products before, um, so I'll actually mention them later. And um, steam sterilization, I put that in there because that's actually a big one for us. Uh, getting an autoclave in the lab was a big thing because it helps us sterilize things for the brewers, for the lab, and keep things nice and clean. Um, so basically, that's the background. That's what I'm doing right now. That's kind of the space that we're working in. But the point of this presentation is to talk to you guys about, one, what we're doing that's been working for us, um, what suggestions we might have for those of you that don't have a quality program, some examples um, as to what we've done that works for us, and some suppliers and consumables that I could recommend that you guys can use that are actually very efficient, inexpensive, local, and some international as well. Um, the building blocks here are, some of them are KPIs for the lab, some of them are just really important things to know. Uh, so I'll just go through them one by one. Uh, consumer complaints is a big KPI for us. Uh, we get everything from perfection to this beer didn't have enough pigskin in it. Um, so we have a bit of everything on Untapped. And if you guys are working in a brewery and you go on Untapped, you know there's ridiculous things out there. There's people that will love your beer and hate your beer and everything in between. But you have to take it all with a grain of salt. But also you have to use it for trends because sometimes people are on there that do know what they're talking about. So don't. I wouldn't say base your whole business on tap, but also don't ignore it. There are some truths to it. Um, so this is what we do uh, in the company. Uh, so the QC department, we have an approachable platform that people can go to. Uh, so basically we have teams working in marketing and sales. We encourage our taproom workers. We encourage people on social media to reach out to us if they have a complaint. Uh, we try to make it an open platform. So never shut down your consumers because if they have an issue, they will appreciate that you're just talking to them. And I've worked in customer service before, online as well. Sometimes people just want to complain and they want someone to talk to, and that's okay. Um, just respond to them and make sure that they heard. Uh, designated team, so I just mentioned that as well. Root cause analysis plan. Any complaint that we get, we reserve beer uh, at Northern Monk from every batch of beer that we make and we store it in the warehouse. If there's ever a complaint, we have a root cause analysis plan. So we basically take beer from storage, uh, we test it for analytical, for micro, for sensory, whatever the complaint is, we register that into a log and then we do the due diligence to actually get back to the consumer and let them know what we've done to rectify the problem. Even if it's a one-off complaint, we make sure to get back to them because they do appreciate it and they will respect that we're actually listening to them. Uh, feedback and engagement, this is more so for internal teams. Uh, once a month, I will send out a report, complaint report that's divided into different departments. Different departments own their own complaints, brewing, packaging, uh, flax store everywhere. So we basically tell them this is what people don't like about the beer. This is the part of the process that it could have happened in. What can we do to rectify the problem? Um, and that's where we focus on continuous improvement. Uh, so basically when we go to uh, our teams and say this is where the complaint came from, um, they help us. They know the equipment. Packaging team, I don't know everything about the canning line. I know enough to get by. I can go to the operations uh, manager and I can ask, where is the source problem coming from? So use your teams. They know so much about your equipment. They know 
so much about what they're working with. They all they know all the nuances of what's broken that week, what's what wasn't working last month. So use your team to help you find the root cause and that'll actually involve them. They'll feel like they're part of the process and it'll help you out a lot. So no, don't try to do all the quality control by yourself. Um, so monk tips. Um, so track your repeating issues, write everything down. I'm a big, big believer in writing everything down, good, bad, whatever. Um, look at your trends. If there's uh, a spike in oxidation, if there's a spike in underfills, if there's a spike in people saying this beer tastes really green, look at your process, dig out your old brew sheets, dig out your old transfer sheets, dig out your old packing sheets and see, is there a trend in this batch? Is there something, is there a bigger issue going on? Um, have a traffic light system. If you guys have a hassle plan, great. If you don't, you should probably get one, but it will help you find where your critical control points are and that can help you define your traffic light system. Different complaints require different levels of attention, right? Uh, if you have some sort of, you know, dangerous chemical in your beer, that's a lot more extreme than somebody getting a dented can, okay? So have a traffic light system. And for those extreme complaints, don't leave people hanging because you'll start building a bad reputation. Um, involve production teams, we already chatted about that, but strongly advise for you guys to have QC reps in your production teams, even if it's one person, somebody that's kind of in charge of keeping an eye on QC and giving you the information you need. Analytical microperformance. Uh, so these are some of the things that we're working on right now and we have been doing for the last year and a half. Uh, we have a very strong analytical sampling program, something that we do every day. All the fermenters get checked every day, all the bright tanks get checked every day, cans, uh, everything. We track gravity, pH, force fermentations, VDKs, ABV sensory. Micro sampling program is more tailored. Uh, it's just a two person team. We can't sample everything in the brewery. We have eight hours in a day. Um, so we basically target um, any high priority products, fruited beer, low ABV, anything that doesn't have much stability to it. We start with that and then we work backwards. Um, so basically some of the things that we're working on right now is isolating areas that need improvements. Um, Currently, like an example would be we've put one-way attachments on CO2 lines to prevent any sort of contamination reaching CO2 lines and reaching beers. They've been a lifesaver. Keep your CO2 lines clean. If your CO2 lines aren't covered, if they aren't uh, blanked, if they're just left on the floor, you can get contamination very easily. So these one-way lines are, have made things a lot easier for us and are much more clean, much more efficient. Um, and something we're working on now is a, pack, a UV light on um, our packaging line to help streamline how clean our cans are. There's some studies that have shown that breweries in the US use this as a way to sterilize their cans and it's actually really taken down their microbiological counts. Um, CIP efficiency, we're all trying to save money, right? So this is a cost saving thing. If you do micro, you can actually scale back your CIP times and scale back your regimes and how often you have to clean something. If you can prove it with micro and say, this is clean, if I scale back how much time I spend on cleaning, how much chemicals I use, the concentration, you will end up saving money in the long run. So if you have the ability to do this, these programs, they can actually end up saving you money over years. Um, also, the other thing uh, that we do is monthly targets. Um, anything that we produce, we have limits that we're trying to hit. We have increased our targets from 39% to 91%, meaning that brew house, gravity, 
finishing gravity, we were not hitting targets uh, about a year and a half ago. 39% of the time we were. We have worked with the teams, we have found trends, and we have found things that were wrong. Milling issues, if we had over attenuation, if we had um, bad conversion issues, we fixed that and basically our analytical score rose up to 91%, which is great because going back to the point of this talk is it creates stability, it creates consistency. Your customer will have a consistent product because you're meeting all your specs time and time again. Um, and ongoing development, uh, trials, process, changes, new ingredients, and equipment. So among tips for micro and analytical, uh, micro doesn't have to be expensive, analytical doesn't have to be expensive. Um, define your limits. Give yourself low uh, and high-end specs for all of your beers. Give yourself low and high-end specs for your gravities, your pHs, your ABVs, your CO2. If you have those specs, you can recognize when the beer is veering way off target. If you're not doing that, your batches will suffer. You will have too much variation across all brands, and you're not going to get that consistency that the customer wants. Um, micro, start small. Uh, I am a full believer in doing micro on the cheap. I know that if uh, you're a starting brewery, you want to go for like the kitted out PCR kits, for the cartridges, for all these like new fancy machines. You don't need that. They're expensive and you can get those in the long run. But if you want to start on the cheap, uh, start with plating. These plates cost 5 to 10p a plate to do yourself in the lab and they're very easy to do. Uh, just by using selective media like this, you can figure out if something is wild yeast or if something is beer spoiling or non-beer spoiling bacteria. Very easy methods. If you have questions, you can ask me later. Um, Brewing Science Laboratory, ASBC has this book on how to start your own lab. It's super informative, really easy to follow, and I strongly recommend it. And I have a pressure cooker up there simply because you don't need an autoclave. You can just get a pressure cooker, set it on like jam setting, put your media in there, and it will sterilize it for you. Uh, when I worked at Goose Island, if the autoclave broke, we got a rice cooker out of storage and used that. So um, there's really cheap ways to do micro without, without it having to be this expensive thing where you have to buy you know, loads of cartridges and loads of packets and just run PCR every day. You can find a lot of what you need to find with really cheap equipment. Um, I strongly also recommend Neogen, just a quick plug there, because they've been really great. The media from there is really cheap. Um, they uh, deliver almost instantaneously. They have multiple reps in the UK, and I strongly recommend them if you guys want to get started with micro. They're a really, really good resource to have. Um, so that's it for analytical micro. Internal audits. I'll try to move along, Tim. Sorry, I know. Um, so basically, we do this every month. Um, Audits are not fun. If you guys have ever done a salsa audit or had to be audited by an external party, you know it's a huge pain in the butt. I don't like them. Uh, they're very picky. But if you do this, if you do something like this, those audits will be so much easier. Basically, a 5S audit, it's sustain, sort, set, and order, shine, and standardize. Um, what we do at Monk is we define a site map and put an owner to each to each uh, portion of the map. So basically, everyone's kind of responsible for their own areas. And then we have interdepartmental audits. So people from the warehouse audit the brew house, brew house audits packaging, packaging audits the lab. The reason we do that is because if you're working in your own environment, you get blind to things that you work with every day, things that are broken, things that are disgusting, things that things that just don't work properly. So it helps to have that fresh set of eyes to come in from another department and say, why is this disorganized? Why is this not fixed? Why, why is this still like this? 
Um, so it really helps to have that fresh set of eyes. So I strongly recommend doing something like that. Um, and it also creates some healthy competition between departments. Uh, for us, we mentioned in the 10 a.m. meeting what scores are given that month to specific uh, sections and people get a little bit competitive and they want to outdo each other. So it's kind of a good thing. Um, by yearly summaries, that's something we send out for trouble areas uh, and continuous improvement. If you do preventative maintenance like that, uh, and you get ahead of things and you do things as you go, your preventative maintenance is gonna go up and your issues are gonna go down. So you're not gonna be chasing things all the time. You're gonna fix things as you go. It's much more efficient, much more cost effective, and it's gonna give you better results in the long run as far as consistency. Um, so some monk tips, set targets. Uh, you can start low and aim high. If you start lower, you have more room for improvement. Start at 50%. Uh, and give yourself some room to grow. But you will see those changes. If you have people actually auditing the site and actually auditing different departments, you will see those changes progress. Um, incentives, give people prizes, give people free beer, give people merch. Uh, if they're doing well on their audits, people will appreciate that. Give them a small bonus. I know it's like difficult in this climate, but it doesn't have to be all monetary. It could be a, anything really. Um, and also training. Uh, a lot of training goes into does that say training? Yeah, it does. A lot of training goes into this. Um, so don't just give someone a piece of audit paper. Actually, go through with them what they're supposed to be looking for. Make sure everybody's on the same page. What they're auditing, why they're doing it. Educate people. They want to know why they're doing what they're doing. Um, yeast management is a big one for us. So currently, uh, we're doing quite a bit with yeast. Uh, it's an ongoing uh, thing with scheduling and research and development and propagation. That's been pretty much the meat of what I've been doing in Northern Monk is trying to get our yeast to kind of last longer and use it for longer and get more out of it. Um, so we're doing uh, management and research uh, production and yeast plant consolidation. What I mean by that is pretty much weekly we tailor our yeast management to fit the production schedule. So whenever we have a forecasting from sales or we know what we need, we will actually look at our yeast needs and meld them together with a production schedule so that we have yeast when we need it across both sites whenever we need it. Um, so we can store it efficiently to keep the health uh, up, to keep uh, availability of the yeast and to um, fit the schedule that's proposed to us and to give us some flexibility if we need to switch things around. So there's a lot of planning that goes into it, but if you do the planning, you'll reap the rewards later. Um, we have some yeast storage tanks on site, uh, two smaller ones, two propagation tanks that we also use as storage tanks. Um, we do some microscopy, viability, and cell counts. Uh, we do some microbiological testing to make sure the yeast is healthy, and analysis happens every day as well. This is one of the yeast trees uh, that I copied from one of our files. Um, I strongly recommend doing something like this. It will help you with troubleshooting and it will help you to actually see um, what you can get. So basically this started with a propagation of four liters of yeast and we got this up to 13 generations. So four liters of yeast uh, pitched more than this. So this plus many, many other brews. Um, so you can stretch out uh, your yeast into 
into a lot of brews if you do it right, if you take care of it, if you do preemptive maintenance. So some tips, uh, research what you're using. Uh, if you're using a new strain of yeast, if you're using an old strain of yeast, if you're using the yeast you've always used, do some research on it. An example would be the yeast that we use um, does not flock very well. So basically we had to do some troubleshooting with temperatures putting the yeast at pressure, uh, dropping it out at a certain time during the fermentation, uh, timing when we crop, how we crop, uh, to the point where actually we got, I got um, a question from another local brewery using the same yeast saying, how do you guys get yeast because this yeast does not flock? And because we did the research, we did the trials, we did the studies, we could recommend something for them that actually ended up working for them and they were able to get better, healthier crops and actually get enough volume to pitch alder brews. Um, propagate, trial and error. Uh, some of our propagations failed, some worked out. Uh, try what works for you. It's not always like a one to 10 method I found. Um, they always teach you that. It's a one to 10 propagation always, over and over. It's not. Um, it depends what kind of wort stream you use, what your vessels are, what the yeast likes, what kind of strain it is, what kind of beer you're pitching, what your environment is like, how you're going to recirculate the yeast, et cetera. All these factors come into play. So don't just do a plug and play method, actually research and trial what you're doing. If you have a shaker and a, and a flask, you can do it easily in the lab. Um, build and track your yeast trees. We already talked about this. This helps loads with traceability. And if you have issues, if you have viability issues, you can trace it back and figure out what went wrong and where. Um, also important one to remember, viability does not equal vitality. If you have a microscope and you're doing cell counts, your yeast coming out is at 99% viable and it has a good count, does that, that does not mean that it's in good health. How you treat your yeast, how fast you pitch it, uh, how you pressurize it and you shear forces, how you store it, how you recirculate it, what temperature it's at, that will affect its longevity, its vitality. Just because it's healthy in that moment doesn't mean it's going to perform well in two, three generations. So that's something to keep in mind on, in mind on how you store your yeast and how you use it, how you treat it. Uh, sensory program, this is the last thing I think I have. Um, so currently we do sensory panels three times a week. Uh, we also do in-progress panels. Sorry, sensory panels are for everybody in the company. Everybody's welcome to come to those. Uh, we taste every guile we make. So every can that gets produced is taken off the can line. Every keg that's produced that's taken off the can line uh, gets put onto panel and it's tasted and approved by uh, a room of panelists. In-progress panels, uh, we do those with higher management. Uh, as the beer moves through the production, we do panels every Thursday to figure out if we need to make some tweaks, if we need to do extra additions, if we don't like what we're tasting, if we want to take it in a different direction. Those are in-progress panels for more specials and one-off beers and seasonal beers. Um, I strongly recommend using DraftLab. Uh, it's a lifesaver. If you do panels, uh, sometimes you can use Excel to make your own uh, your own tracking device, but it's basically a software that helps you schedule uh, panels, helps you do different kinds of different studies, helps you track things by batch, and it's super easy to use and it's, and it's been really great. You can do multiple types of panels listed here. Um, we do sensory training. We follow the, sets, the Cicerone model, so we'll basically do off-flavor training that the Cicerone program will do. Uh, and then we also do some knowledge-based training. So we kind of take people, new brewers, packaging members, whoever is interested really through the brewing process, what happens, why we do what we do, and we take them through the sensory training as well. 
We also are very big on qualified tasters. This is something we implemented this year, and I would strongly encourage you guys to do that as well. Train uh, people on site to recognize off flavors and to be your qualified tasters once they pass the training, give them that approval. And when you have a beer that's due for release, we basically have um, a number of qualified tasters that have to taste that batch and approve it. If they don't approve it, it does not go out to market. We have a discussion about what to do, if we need to pivot, if we need to blend, if we need to dump the beer, et cetera. Um, so have those people that are trained that will approve the beer, don't just approve it on the fly and just send it out by random, uh, like, you know, people that do not usually taste beer. Um, and have numbers. Uh, people will have different suggestions, different opinions on beer. Um, so have get numbers, get people to actually participate in these sensory tastings. Um, ingredients and sensory on hops, malt, and adjuncts, that's something we do, uh, we try to get better at. Uh, we do hops, hop analysis, we do malt analysis, sometimes hop teas, we do hop selections. Uh, adjuncts as well, we do a lot of uh, adjunct trials in the in progress panels, we'll try different different things with different blends and kind of experiment and some of them are a bit crazy. Um, sensory reports and feedback, those are sent out monthly as well to basically figure out any trends. If we see faith uh, on panel and we see that it's getting too astringent, people are commenting that it's increasing in astringency and bitterness. We go back through the entire month and look at, did something happen? Are we, uh, is the centrifuge not centrifuging out as much hops as it should be? Have we been doing less hop dumps? Let's take a look at why the astringency is rising. We'll tackle that issue and bring it back into spec. Um, trends and process changes, that's kind of the same thing. So basically everything we have as far as feedback, we try to take back into the lab and find creative outlets to fix that. Um, so tips, train your staff, off-flavor training. So many resources out there. Aroxa is a great one. Uh, Cicerone has tons of literature. Go on their website. Um, they, they have a lot of things, a lot of cards, a lot of training tips uh, that you can buy. Draft Lab, uh, you can get a free version to try it out. The actual, like, I think it's not that expensive to have the, the lowest payment plan, but it's very well worth it. It's gonna save you a lot of time. And uh, Siebel Institute of, uh, of Technology in Chicago, I didn't know they deliver to the UK, but they do. But they have the, uh, these sensory kits that you can uh, build yourself. So basically, whatever you're having trouble with, you can kind of build your own sensory kit. So whatever off flavors you're struggling with the most and you want to train people on, um, they've been really great with that because you can get like five of this, five of that. So you can kind of mix and match and build your own. Um, blind tasting, so in the curveball. Um, it's really good to keep people on their toes and see if they're actually recognizing oxidation, recognizing diacetyl, rec recognizing uh, high bitterness levels. Um, invest in or build a platform. If you can't afford Draft Lab, use Excel. You can definitely do it yourself. Build sensory targets. This is super important. Everyone's going to have uh, a subjective opinion. You need to ma make your uh, targets objective. They need to hit a certain tropical level you need to have you know your citrus your your floral aromas or whatever you want in your beer right you need to have a specific type of bitterness level specific types of sweet residual sweetness specific mouthfeel just because someone comes into panel they shouldn't be saying i don't like that beer so i'm going to score it a zero they should be scoring it to a target so make sure you have your targets because people can be very uh subjective so just make sure that they're all aiming for the same thing 
Um, even if you start with one beer, your core beer, build a target around there, that and make sure that people are all tasting to the same spec, super important. It'll help you build consistency and it'll help you track if anything is going in a different direction than it should. Uh, maximize sensory checks from brew house to packaging, taste your beer, make all your, your packing members, your brew team members, everyone taste the beer along the process because your sensory checks are so important. They're the last defense you have to spot issues. It's not always going to be that easy to spot issues after the fact, but before your beer goes into can, after your beer goes into can, uh, before you send it out, make sure you taste it because we have caught and other, and other breweries have caught a lot of issues just by tasting the beer. You don't have to have analytical microanalysis. You can taste that something's wrong. So make sure you're doing that. Don't, don't leave it to last minute. And do uh, shelf life testing. Keep some of your beer behind. If you have complaints, if you have issues that come up later, see how your beer ages. Because if you keep it on a shelf in your warehouse for five months, it's gonna give you a clear idea of what it's tasting like to your customers if it's in the store. Um, this is the last slide, I promise. Uh, continuous improvement. Um, so I love the Simpsons episode because it just reminds me of big breweries. I don't want craft to get to the point where we're uh, acting like big breweries. So um, let's set achievable goals, right? Um, it's okay to set the bar high and we need to challenge this competition where everything is turned out to be the same, right? Big companies have a lot more resources. They have a lot more uh, ability to produce beer on the cheap that people want to buy, right? Um, craft needs to be better. We need to step up to the challenge to be more creative, to take on the competition. Set the bar high, but don't be afraid of failure. Um, get organized. The little things do add up. Um, get, uh, get your equipment calibrated. Start recording things, even if even if they're not um, even even if they're not favorable. Learn from your from your mistakes. Record mistakes. Definitely record mistakes. They're super important. Um, embrace them as well. Document and develop. Keep quality dynamic. Uh, quality is not something. This is what really uh, gets to me sometimes. Is sometimes people think that quality is just doing your checks and going home for the day. Quality is dynamic. It's not static. Do not just do checks in your brewery and then say, I've done my checks for the day, the beer is good to go. Do continuous improvement. If you're doing checks, make sure that you're looking to the next thing that you can improve on. How can you improve the quality? How can you improve the consistency? Is something veering way out of spec? Is something not tasting the way it should be? How can we make this beer even better? Even if it's your core beer that you produce a lot of, what can you do to make it more consistent, more favorable? Don't just stop it you know, quality checks done, I'm going home. So educate your teams to help you as well. That's been a huge help for us at Monk. Uh, I rely so much on the brewing teams, on the packaging teams, on my quality assistant to help me figure out what I don't know because I don't know everything. I can't know everything. They're on the floor. They know what they're doing. They know the equipment. Ask them questions. Ask them to help you. Um, and get creative. Uh, if you aim for consistency, you'll find room for creativity. Get your brewery to be consistent, get your consistency up, and then you have that room to do a lot of cool stuff. Um, I don't think quality should be boring. I think we should experiment. I think we should try to make really cool stuff that the big breweries can't compete with. But in order to get that, in order to get to doing 
really cool, awesome brews that are off the wall and crazy and batshit weird, you need to get your consistency down. You need to make sure that you have your preemptive maintenance. You need to make sure you have your stability first and then do all the creative stuff, not the other way around because it will fall back on you. Um, and that is it. Thank you. The Brewers Journal podcast is a production of Reby Media. Produced and hosted by Tim Sheehan. Sound engineering by Ross McPherson. Series supervision by John Young. The executive producer is Rory Harris. And special thanks to Tanya Kondratuk 